There you go. Lots coming up. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here. Moms, you could be hundreds of places anywhere uh, this morning, and you chose to be with the church family on this special day. So let me say, well done, moms, well done. Uh, We have uh, some gifts for you. Uh, After you leave this morning, we have a photo booth. So moms, uh, encourage your fam to go and uh, get your picture, and you'll have a memory of this morning for years to come. Pastor Chad will give you a little information about uh, some of our gifts that are aimed your way, moms. Uh, I want to start with a poem that I found. I didn't write it, uh, but I really like it. And um, much like Laura uh, suggested, lots of us bring lots of different emotions and feelings and experiences into Mother's Day. And this does a nice job of talking about many of you. Uh, Here's what it says. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. (laughs) To those who experience loss this year through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are stepmoms, foster moms, adoptive moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those uh, who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who've lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we we acknowledge your experience. To those who've lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. (laughs) And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And I'm telling you, it's true. We have real warriors in our midst here today. Thank you. We remember you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And let's give those moms a hand right now. Today, uh, we're in the old section of God's book. We're going to look at a wife for sure. I kind of think she was likely a mother for this reason. Typically, especially in the Old Testament, If a woman was unable to have children, it said so very prominently. And 
uh, it doesn't say anything about this woman. Uh, we're going to see today the fool, the rash, and the wise. The fool, the rash, and the wise. Today's uh, passage uh, makes it clear that our actions affect our outcomes, or to say a little differently, what we sow is what we will, you know it, we're going to reap. Whatever we sow, that's what we are going to harvest later on down the road. So today, we're, we're going to be considering a story where someone steps in, a woman, a wife, I think a mother, and takes a huge risk. And she kept a bad situation from becoming a disaster. That's really what she did. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read out loud from 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to discover our actions can be very wise, very rash, or very foolish. They can go a number of ways. We're going to read verses 1 to 9, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Read with me. Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his home in Ramah. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing us to gather on this special day when we remember mothers. And I certainly pray, Lord, that each and every mother here live in person and those watching online, Lord, might they feel loved and supported and celebrated today. I pray, Lord, as we dig into your book and we look at uh, this wife named Abigail, would you help us to learn from her this morning? Help us to learn from this episode in her life. We invite the third person of the Trinity to be welcomed today in your church. Jesus, we, we invite you to come and uh, take charge. This is your church. And uh, we are your temple, so you come and sit on the throne, and you come and take charge today in each and every one of our lives. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
We begin this morning with the fool, and his name was Nabal. Interesting, Nabal in Hebrew literally means fool. So I'm guessing, okay, this is only a guess, but I can't imagine uh, his parents naming their little baby boy fool. Yeah, quiet fool. Isn't he beautiful, our little fool? Uh, Likely this was his nickname or this was the name that everybody in the neighborhood knew him as. Oh, there's the fool, okay? It tells us, we just read this, Nabal was a very wealthy man. 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. Uh, The Overbeaks can appreciate these. 1,000 goats. He was a very wealthy man. Uh, Some commentators tell us he would be the equivalent of a multimillionaire today. Uh, That's what it's telling us. Old Testament days, marriages were arranged. So Nabal's parents and Abigail's parents got together and decided, yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll allow our daughter to be married to you. And I'm sure that Abigail's parents thought they'd hit a home run for their daughter. Quite a catch. Uh, you're going to have a big house and lots of servants Uh, Abigail, you're going to love it. You'll be made in the shade. Sadly, life is so much more than just our stuff. Look at verse 3. tells us Nabal was crude and rude in all of his dealings. That's quite a statement. Nabal was rude and crude with everybody. Okay, And catch this, verse 3. And in contrast, Abigail was sensible and a beautiful woman. And I think more than just her appearance, she was beautiful inside and out. So you have a beautiful and sensible woman married to a mean and crude and rude man. Got the picture? Now, David, let me give you a little background, is on the run from King Saul. If you'd go back one chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, David is running. Uh, Saul has attempted to murder David with a spear two times. 1 Samuel 18 verse 11, you can read about that. So David says, I better not stick around, I'm going to be a dead man. So he takes off and he's on the run with 600 loyal soldiers of his. And now... In 1 Samuel 24, who says the Bible doesn't have a sense of humor? Uh, 1 Samuel 24, you can read this. There's a lot of junior high humor here, which is just my kind of humor. Uh, Anyway, it says that uh, Saul found a cave and he covered his sandals, which means he went in there to go to the bathroom in the very same cave that David was hiding in. And his soldiers are whispering, this is God's will. you got to kill him. Run him through with the spear. And David spares King Saul's life. So he has this confrontation, 1 Samuel 24. And now in 1 Samuel 25, David and his men 
are staying around the region of Carmel, okay, not talking sweets. That was a city, a very important city in biblical days, and that's where Nabal's pastures were. Got it? So David and his men are literally on Nabal's land and his pastures, and it says they protected Nabal's flocks. Okay? Uh, Philistines were out in their raiding parties, and David and his men protected anything from happening to Nabal's flocks. And likely they would have lost some animals, but not with David and his 600 men there. Okay? They've been helpful to Nabal and his shepherds, helped them thrive. Verse 16 says it well. They were like a wall of protection for Nabal's flocks. So, uh, David says, why don't ten of you go down, and uh, since this is sheep shearing time, this is payday, this is when they would celebrate, because now they're going to make all of their money, all of their work and effort. Hey, Nabal, could you share a little of the surplus with me and my men? I mean, after all, I've been looking out for you. Would you look out for us? Okay, now let's read how foolish Nabal responds to this reasonable request from David. Verses 10 and 11. Okay, can can you share with us? And here's what Nabal says in response. Rude, crude Nabal. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Um, Do you see what foolish Nabal says? Everybody in Israel knew who David was. He was the champion of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, you can look at it later. But he was the slayer of Goliath. Now note Nabal's foolish words. Who is this David? Who is this runaway slave? This is a little jab at David running away from Saul. Nabal knew who this guy was, David. But now he's taking a little jab. Who does he think he is asking for any of my possessions? You go back and you tell David, tough luck. I'm not giving him any meat or water or bread. I'm not supporting a bunch of outlaws. So now David's ten men come back with Nabal's foolish message. And now David is going to be tempted to do something rash. Go back to your phone in your Bible. Verse 12. So, David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. (laughs) Verse 13. Get your swords, was David's reply, as he straps on his own sword. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Okay? Um, Here's what you need to know. David has just passed a huge test. 
Back in 1 Samuel chapter 24, the Lord brings Saul into the very same cave he was in, and now he has an opportunity to kill Saul, and yet the Lord empowers David to resist the urge to kill the king. Okay? Passed a huge test, and now he's about to fail a little pop quiz. Okay? Which is just a reminder. It's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to you. Whenever we pass a big test, whenever the Lord uses us in a big way, watch out because you're in a vulnerable situation. You, you very easily, when you have passed a major temptation and the Lord gives you victory, you're at much greater risk of giving in to a smaller situation a smaller temptation. I remember, uh, and I recall one Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday it was, Myron, and we had a huge crowd, and there were lots of people who made decisions for Christ. And it was great, and the Lord worked. And I recall the next day, I had one of the worst fights with my bride that I've ever had. Uh, and I, it was, you know, rude and crude. <laughs> I was Nabal that day. And I'm just telling you, I was tired. I was worn out. I was me. I was surly. I, I'm telling you, when you have a big victory, watch out. Because you're really in a vulnerable place. David was tired and weary. His mentor, go back to verse 1, Samuel had just died. And now, Nabal is messing with some of David's biggest insecurities. Okay, Nabal's a nobody, but now he's messing with David. Who is this little runt? I'm sure David is thinking, you know, that's just how I was treated at home. When Samuel came to choose one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel, his own father forgot about David out there watching the sheep. Do you remember that? He didn't even remember he had another son who wasn't there. And I remember Samuel said, we're not sitting down till you go get that other son. Okay, Just the baby out watching the sheep. Then he says, who is this runaway slave? Who is he anyway? He's messing with David and he knows it. Uh, David, who is he? He's already the anointed by Samuel, the anointed next king of Israel. That's who this runaway slave is. But I'm telling you, rude and crude is messing with him. David instructs 200 of his men, just stay behind. You watch the stuff. 400 men, strap on your swords. We're going to go teach this fool a lesson. We're going we're to go slaughter him. Uh, the fool, Nabal, is in grave danger. And the rash one, King David here, he's not yet king, David is now about to go slaughter a nobody and a bunch of innocent people. Understand the situation? That's what's going on. And now the wise one enters the picture. Now the wise one comes on scene. Verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, 
uh, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at him. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, <laughs> for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. I tried. He's not listening. Abigail wasted no time, verse 18. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. And as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But has he repaid me evil for good? May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Abigail is sensible and wise and she realizes her husband, Nabal, <laughs> is in grave danger. And not just him, but her entire household are now about to get slaughtered. So she quickly pulls together a feast. A feast in a massive hurry. Two other loaves of bread, wine, slaughtered sheep ready to be roasted, raisins, two kinds of cake. That's my kind of feast. Abigail knew that her husband's rude and crude foolishness was about to rain down disaster on her home. And she quickly puts it in gear. I'm convinced this isn't the first time that Abigail had to save her husband's bacon, if you know what I mean. Okay? Not the first time that he got himself in trouble and she had to rush in to save him. So now listen, she finally catches David before he is uh, able to take revenge. Listen to her wisdom. Listen to her discernment. She's sensible as she speaks. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool. That's his name. Just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. I wasn't any a part of that. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live... Since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be cursed. Just curse that foolish husband of mine. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for your fighting the Lord's battles. And you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. 
Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stone shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he's promised and made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of a needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, David, would you please remember me, your servant? Isn't that good? Those are good words. Fourteen times she calls David Lord here in the Hebrew. Fourteen times. My husband was rude and crude. My husband is cheering for Saul. But here's the truth, David. I just want you to know, you're my king. You're God's king. I know who you are. Verse 29, one of the great verses. Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Hey, David, uh, just like the Lord protected you when you went to battle with Goliath, with your stone and your sling, the Lord is going to continue to protect you, David. The Lord's going to hurl Saul away like a small rock in God's slingshot. Okay? Abigail says, I have one request, verse 31. When you're king, David, there's faith here. When you're king, he's not king yet, but when you're king and you're on your throne, David, will you remember me? Will you remember me? And oh, by the way, he's going to remember her. We'll get to that in a bit, okay? So with poise and confidence and tact, she demonstrates a knowledge of God's word. And I just want you to know, she's taking a big risk. So she knows what her husband thinks about giving food and throwing a banquet for David. So she's taking a big risk. Uh, David might not receive her well. David just might start the slaughter with her, and now her husband, she knows. But she takes a big risk, and she comes to David. He's hot, he's mad, he's ready to kill. She's risking angering her rude, crude husband, and she's risking angering this guy, David, who's bent on revenge. Notice how David responds. Go back to the text. Verse 32. Here's, here's what David says. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who's kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I've heard what you've said. We will not kill your husband. <laughs> David is persuaded by Abigail's calm, wise reasoning. And David is grateful. He's great. He says, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for calming me down. I was about to kill a nobody and all of your family. 
But look at verse 32. I love this. But God sent you to me. God, God knew I was going to take revenge. I was going to slaughter everybody. But God sent you to me. Can I say something here? Are you ready? Give me your eyes. We all need Abigails in our lives. Do we not? We all need Abigails. And my prayer is that we can all be somebody's Abigail. Because we all have times where we're not thinking right. We have weak moments and, and we're tempted to do something foolish. We need the body of Christ. We need each other to be there to speak wisely when we have a lapse of judgment. Maybe Abigail is that friend in your community small group and you share and your friend realizes that that's not a good idea. And your friend speaks up with wisdom and grace and kindness and is able to speak truth with clarity in an emotionally charged situation. Don't we all need Abigails in our life? We, we need people who will lovingly, kindly speak up, especially when we're not thinking clearly. And I love how this whole story flips the stereotypes upside down. Because in this story, Nabal is the weak and emotional one, and Abigail is the wise and courageous one. Both David and Nabal are the ones consumed by their emotions, and it's only Abigail who keeps her head in a crisis. Uh, she saves the day. She saves her husband and her entire household. So, David isn't going to take revenge. He isn't going to slaughter her family and, and her whole household. Now, Abigail heads back home. Let's see what happens next. Verse 36. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. Okay, so it's pretty normal, it seems. Uh, she's not going to talk to him till the next day because he's not going to understand or remember anything anyway. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. Isn't that interesting? So she waits till he can understand, and as a result, he had a stroke. <laughs> Nabal literally is paralyzed on his bed like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. Abigail <laughs> knows not to try to talk with him till he's awake and sober, tells him the whole story. I'm not sure why, that story caused him to have a stroke. Maybe he's angry at Abigail for going against his wishes and making peace. Or maybe he realizes how close he was to being butchered and uh, having David uh, take revenge on his rude, crude ways. Abigail's life, think about it, is a little bit like a pearl that's formed in an oyster. Now track with me. Here's what I mean by that. Um, oysters begin uh, 
making pearls when there's an irritant inside of the oyster. Okay, A grain of sand literally gets inside of the oyster and now the oyster sees that as an irritant and covers it up. And through years of living with an irritant, something on the inside, slowly but surely, it becomes a beautiful pearl. That's exactly what's happened in Abigail's life. Okay, No irritant, no pearl. For many of us, we wonder, why do I have this difficult relationship? Why do I have this trouble, this difficulty? And I'm just telling you, God is using that situation and even that difficult, rude, crude person oftentimes to build the character of Christ in us. God uses difficult people. God even uses the foolish navels of this world to make us more like Jesus. He really does. Now, how many of you like a happy ending? Can I see your hands? How many of you like Hallmark Channel? Okay, this is, this is in a Hallmark Channel ending. Okay, here we go. Back to the text, verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, <laughs> who's avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Quickly getting ready, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, went with David's messengers, and so she became his wife. <laughs> David learned Nabal's dead. You know, he was kind of impressed with that woman and how she, he praises the Lord, says, hey, uh, would you become my wife? Verse 39, this time, this time we know Abigail has a choice. Will you, would you like to be my wife? Absolutely, I'd love uh, to be your wife. Verse 42, quickly, heads with great anticipation and becomes David's wife. Now please understand, she's not marrying the king yet. David won't be king until 2 Samuel 2 after Saul is killed in battle. But she, again, she's believing God's promises to David that he will be the king. Now, Abigail is a wonderful model of a lot of things, of wisdom She's a masterful communicator. She's got amazing peacemaking skills, persuasive skills. She's able to calm down David's hot, vengeful, rash-filled heart, ready to go and take revenge. But I'd like to close this morning by looking at something I think is even more important in this story. We get a glimpse here, not just of Abigail, but I believe we get a glimpse of Jesus. Okay, In Abigail, we get a glimpse of the wise mediator 
who charged in to face wrath on behalf of foolish sinners like us. Jesus Christ literally charged in, and in Abigail we see Jesus. Track with me here for a minute. Abigail is the wise, discerning, intelligent one. She rides in on a donkey, humbles herself, takes on the blame. She takes on the guilt, even though she was innocent. She offers a meal of peace, a meal of lamb, and by her bravery and courage, Abigail saves the lives of her family. Jesus, Miras, Jesus is our mediator. And he didn't just offer wisdom. He didn't just offer peace and negotiating skills. Jesus offered us his own life. I'm going to put Romans chapter 5 up here. It says, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. To miss the gospel in this story here in 1 Samuel 25 is to miss a great glimpse of Jesus Christ, our mediator who literally turned away God's wrath to bring us to the Father, and I would argue to the biggest and the best and the most important story in all of God's Word. The story of Jesus Christ. Praise God for 1 Samuel chapter 25. Praise God for this wonderful, wise woman who shows us great skill, great discernment, great peacemaking skills that we can all learn from and who points us to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, your great love for us in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross on our behalf. It says, while we were still sinners, that you sent your son Jesus to take care of condemnation and judgment that was on us, each and every one of us here. And that condemnation and judgment has been removed. Been removed by what Jesus did for us on the cross. So here's my question. Have you accepted the great love of Jesus for you? Have you believed that the shed blood of Christ is available to remove God's judgment and condemnation on your life? Here's the facts. Jesus, I believe you left the glory of heaven for me. Jesus, I believe you took on a human body and you lived a sinless life. Jesus, I believe you uniquely are the sinless Lamb of God. And you took my place on that Roman cross you shed your blood for my sin problem. You took my place in the grave an early Sunday morning. Jesus, I believe you arose from the dead for me. Facts to be believed. And the person 
of those facts, Jesus Christ, needs to be received. Jesus, I receive you. I welcome you into my life. I invite you to come and be my Savior, my King, my boss, my forever friend. I say yes to you today. I invite you in. Best decision you'll ever make. Thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful example of Abigail. Help us to learn today from the wise, the rash, and the fool that we just studied in your book. And thank you, Lord, for the many Abigails we have in this church family. I pray for your blessing on their lives. And I ask this all in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.